If you like music's greatest mysteries, you've got to check out Dan Rather's The Big Interview for some incredible true stories from the biggest names in music. Check out the podcast sometime. Ahead on the latest Music's Greatest Mysteries, an unknown drummer becomes a member of the Beatles. He did go on record saying that he had been told by the Beatles that he was a better drummer than Ringo. Next, we ask the question, is Stonehenge a prehistoric soundstage? Acoustically, in the real world, it's very hard to do. And that's what Stonehenge does. And later, does a wild marketing campaign ruin Ashanti's career? This website would allow you to post a fake news report of you killing your ex. Who really thought this was a great idea? There will never be another musical phenomenon like Beatlemania. The Beatles blew the door off everything. They were the most famous pop rock group in the world. As their celebrity reaches rarefied fame, a strange twist occurs, giving a once-in-a-lifetime chance to an unknown musician an opportunity to become rock royalty. For two weeks in 1964, the Beatles were John, Paul, George, and Jimmy. The year is 1964, and the Beatles have already released seven records with five number one hits. They are the biggest band on the planet. And here they are, fresh from their triumphant appearances in the United States. 12,000 young Britons roar a welcome. Their shrieks rise in an awesome wave. The Beatles hit the ground running like an atomic bomb. Everyone knew every Beatle. John, Paul, Ringo, George, the one and only Beatles did herald this trend when it seemed that, man, any British bloke in a band could be a, a star. In June of 64, on the verge of their first world tour, an unexpected illness challenges this theory. In 1964, immediately prior to a tour of Europe, Australia, Asia, Ringo Starr got tonsillitis. When the Beatles were booked for this first world tour, Ringo Starr was hospitalized. They have to make a decision. Brian Epstein decides, look, we've sold all the tickets, we've booked all the travel, we can't cancel all of this stuff. And so what if we get somebody to fill in for Ringo? George Harrison initially says, if Ringo's not going, I'm not going. But they talk him into it. With the tour still a go, Brian Epstein and producer George Martin are tasked with phase two of the plan. Find Ringo's replacement. They reach out to a session percussionist in London named Jimmy Nickel. Jimmy Nickel's phone rings and it's George Martin saying, can you come to Abbey Road now? And he comes and he auditions for the Beatles and they say, great, you're going with us tomorrow. He flies to Denmark the next day. He gets his mop top. 
And about 27 hours after getting this phone call, Jimmy Nickel is on stage with the Beatles, playing in front of a theater packed with screaming girls as a full-fledged member of the greatest band of all time. Dance with Jimmy Nickel got plucked out of obscurity to be in the biggest phenomenon that the pop music world has ever seen. What a day it was at Adelaide Airport. Arriving to meet the citizens were John Lennon, two other Beatle regulars, and Jimmy Nickel. Jimmy, of course, was deputizing for Ringo Starr. Amidst the celebrity whirlwind, Jimmy openly wonders if his seat could be permanent. How do you feel being in with the Beatles, a new standing in for Ringo? It's a good experience, man. Jimmy Nickel thought that he was better than Ringo. I think there's a clue to that. There is a clip where he's asked about how tough it is filling in, and he kind of makes light of it. You're wrong, Jimmy. Whether you find it difficult to take over the role of Ringo. Uh, no, not really. No. He did go on record afterwards as saying that he had been told by the Beatles that he was a better drummer than Ringo. Do you think you're good? <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time the band has changed drummers. In 1962, Ringo permanently replaced Pete Best. So now Ringo's replacement sees his opportunity to do the same. It had to be really psychologically strange and difficult for Jimmy Nickel to be like thrown into Beatlemania. And probably in the back of his mind at that period of time thinking, oh, Maybe they'll like me so much, I'll become their drummer. Next on Music's Greatest Mysteries, Jimmy Nickel hits his last stop and walks into a future he did not expect. The first time by Beatles, Jimmy Nickel, who will be leaving us tomorrow. He said filling in for Ringo was the worst thing that ever happened to him in his life. And later, does the movie Spinal Tap send a clue to the true purpose of Stonehenge? It's nice to think that no one would even connect Stonehenge and music if it wasn't for Spinal Tap, but maybe they did know something that the rest of us are just now finding out. It's 1964, and the Beatles are on their first world tour. Well, at least, most of the Beatles. Ringo Starr is back home, sick with tonsillitis. Filling in for Ringo, an unknown named Jimmy Nickel. George Harrison, Paul McCartney, John Leopard, Jimmy Nickel. He was thinking probably in the back of his mind, they've already done it once with Pete Best and Ringo, maybe they'll do it again. Was Jimmy Nickel a better drummer than Ringo Starr? No. Let's face it, the Beatles aren't the Beatles without Ringo. Ringo's one of the most important drummers in the history of recorded music. When a healthy Ringo rejoins the band midway through the tour, Ringo's restored, good as new. Minus those troublesome tonsils, fit as a drum, he's out. Jimmy Nichols' 13 days playing with the biggest band in the world are over. He joins them on 
Sunday. What do you do then? Um, I go back to London and uh, they're fixing up a band for me and I do some television. It had to be an incredible rush and also a rough big letdown going home. And for the first time, five Beatles, Jimmy Nickel, who will be leaving us tomorrow, who's done marvelous work during the temporary brief but very grave illness of Ringo Starr. There is a haunting photograph of him at the airport in Australia on his way home. The airport is deserted. He is sitting all alone by himself, whereas only 24 hours earlier, he was the center of this mob of women trying to get to him. His life just changed irrevocably for the better for two weeks, and then he went right back down, crashing to earth. Jimmy Nichols said that filling in for Ringo was the worst thing that ever happened to him in his life. He declared bankruptcy in 1965, got divorced. He lost everything. It seems like he came back and expected that this was gonna be his ticket to fame, but nobody really cares. Now he's just some guy who was a drummer and then essentially disappears. Just poof, vanished. Jimmy Nickel not only leaves the spotlight, but completely avoids it. As far as we know, Jimmy Nickel is still alive and is still in Mexico. To this day, he's a recluse. Even his own son can't get hold of him. It's kind of a sad story when you think about it for Jimmy Nickel, that it was such a whirlwind that before he could even think about what had just happened, it was already over. Maybe it's worse to touch fame than to never have had it. And it seems like in his case, that's true. In 1984, the mockumentary This Is Spinal Tap brings a historic landmark back to the pop culture forefront. Despite its intentions, is Spinal Tap unwittingly providing a clue to one of mankind's most puzzling mysteries? Are these comedians close to the real answer behind Stonehenge? It's nice to think that no one would even connect Stonehenge and music if it wasn't for Spinal Tap, but maybe they did know something that the rest of us are just now finding out. Stonehenge, a monument whose origins date back to prehistory, and its true purpose has mystified experts for centuries. Stonehenge has been thought of in so many different ways. Could it have been an ancient calendar? Is it a burial ground? Is it a mark for aliens? Is it a tribute to a god? So what was Stonehenge? Archaeologists know little about the culture that first erected Stonehenge. Construction started around 3000 BC, long before written records. But thanks to a new field of archaeology, the question of why Stonehenge was built may soon be answered. Archaeoacoustics is a relatively new field of the study of sound in the past. 
What we study are the archaeological sites and their acoustic properties. There's acoustics around us everywhere, and they've been with us for thousands and thousands of years. It's not surprising that a couple of our ancestors might have figured it out at Stonehenge. Stonehenge is such an unusual structure that it seems like it had to have some good reason. There's a lot of legends about spirits speaking from the rocks. It's just interesting to imagine our ancestors having the spiritual experience in terms of sound. Acoustical engineers in 2020 create a miniature version of Stonehenge. Their goal, to test how sound would have moved through the structure thousands of years ago. There was a study done by the University of Salford in the UK. They modeled Stonehenge and then they fed it with sound and they realized an amazing thing. Coming up, new evidence for why Stonehenge was built is revealed. Here I am in the model of Stonehenge, what I would sound like if I went back to 2200 BC and talked within the monuments. And later, why is Ashanti encouraging her fans to send death threats? They say there's no such thing as bad press, but in this case, it just destroyed her entire image. The origins of Stonehenge have baffled archaeologists for centuries. Until a 2020 study finds shocking new evidence that the monument has acoustical properties engineered by its builders. All of the stones are placed in such a way that the sound reflects off the rocks and is reflected back towards the people in the center of Stonehenge. You're hearing my voice recorded in an anechoic chamber. And here I am in the model of Stonehenge, an oralization of what I would sound like if I went back to 2200 BC and talked within the monument. With this model, they found it creates an amplification that can't be heard from the outside. It's insane. Electronically, very easy to do. Acoustically, in the real world, very hard. And that's what Stonehenge did. That is crazy when you think about it in modern times because it's not an enclosed structure. It was never an enclosed structure. It's built like you're sitting at one of those shows in the round so that the sound is perfect all around you. The reason they put the stones the way they did is to increase the acoustics. In essence, it was a soundstage. So what does this reveal about the culture that created the monument? These people devoted a lot of time, a lot of effort into building a massive monument with technology that was you know, very primitive, but they had the same brains as we do. They love music. It was not just a sound studio. It was designed for religious service, for doing chanting and music and everything associated with their religious worship their music, it was just going up into the heavens and not for other people to hear. It really speaks to how important music is to us as people, why we feel it in our hearts.
history has seen its share of total marketing disasters. From rebrands... Simply stated, we have a new formula for Coke. ...to tone-deaf campaigns. But one eager pop star and her label will manage to outdo them all with a morbid and murderous turn. They say there's no such thing as bad press, but in this case, there was no good press for this. At the turn of the century, a new pop idol arrives to shake up the scene. 2002 hits, and here's Ashanti. Ashanti! This year, Ashanti wins a total of eight Billboard Music Awards. Just one of the biggest acts on the planet. She had the hit Foolish that went double platinum. It was played everywhere. She was huge. She was on top of the world. There's a famous headline from the New York Times when Beyonce released her first album, and the headline is, Beyonce, she's no Ashanti. So that speaks to how big Ashanti was at the time. But by 2008, the hits are getting harder to come by. Our next guest hasn't been to TRL in a while, but she is back with a new video just in time for Spanking New Ladies Week. So let's hear it for Ashanti. As Ashanti was promoting her new album, The Declaration, they were launching the first single, The Way That I Love You. This is definitely a darker side to you. We haven't really seen it before. So um, how did you go about accessing that side to you? You know what? I think anyone that has ever been hurt, guys, females, it brings out the evil stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was a song about a woman scorned getting her revenge. And Ashanti went a little more violent with it and a little more intense. But The Way That I Love You isn't meeting her label's expectations. It peaks at only 37 on the charts, well below her previous hits. The R&B sound that had made her a star was not quite as popular. Things were changing, new artists were popping up. So she needed something, she needed a hook to sort of get her out there into the limelight. Ashanti's team decide to try and go viral with a true crime-inspired digital ad campaign. And then things went a little bit sideways. Her marketing team, they decided to do gotcha grams. This website would let you create a personalized news report about somebody's death. That's a little extreme. Imagine this, if you will. This website would allow you to post to MySpace, a fake news report for the whole world to see of you killing your ex. Like, who really thought this was a great idea? Coming up, how does Team Ashanti react to the marketing fail? Everybody was confused. Was it to cause controversy? Was it to make people want to call the police? It was such a bad look just to promote a song. It's been six years since her latest number one hit. So Ashanti and her team are taking a risk with her new single, The Way That I Love You. As part of the song's PR campaign, 
Fans are allowed to create personalized fake news reports depicting the murder of their unfaithful exes and post them to MySpace. The reaction is less than favorable. Everybody was confused. Nobody knew what the message was behind the campaign. Was it to cause controversy? Was it to make people want to call the police? It was confusing. It was absolutely trashed, and civil rights organizations got involved. It was such a bad look just to promote a song. Within weeks, the website is taken down, and the campaign is canceled. It was a terrible publicity idea, but they do have to applaud the label and also a promo team for immediately getting rid of this and scrubbing it from the internet. It didn't ruin Ashante and it didn't end her career. She acted in The Wiz. She worked with Michelle Obama. She also won a Soul Train Award. So this may have been a terrible marketing idea, but Ashante is doing just fine. A prehistoric question possibly answered. A failed murderous marketing campaign. And the sad story of Jimmy Nickel. All part of music's rich history. All music's greatest mysteries. Thank you for joining us for Music's Greatest Mysteries, where we investigate the legendary mysteries surrounding the biggest names in music. Now remember, if you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Also, go ahead and leave us a review and don't keep the show a secret. Tell a friend. <laughs>